The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! I, uh, oh, oh, I, I really, your head, I think I just, I took a blow, James. Your head looks like it got a lump. Oh, God. Oh, man. Well, did you get the number on that pickup truck? Uh, Sorry, I missed it. James, in this fiction, I'm the one that's injured. Let's, (laughs) let's just, let's just keep going. Well, despite, Uh, despite Paul's head injury, I'm going to intro the show here. I was on my way to Mexico (laughs) to buy a piñata. Uh-huh. To celebrate. Right. What are you celebrating, Paul? Cinco de Mayo. Oh, Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. Yes. And mm-hmm. I hit my head. Right. And it's achy down here. <laughs> Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. <laughs> what a stellar intro. We are your Jack White fan podcast. That's us. Yeah. We're your Jack White mailmen delivering you Jack White mail <laughs> on this podcast here. And this is a podcast where we go through history and albums and songs. And boy, I'm I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. And I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. What's that? You feel that? Paul, did you hear that? Is this in the same fiction as earlier? Or are we... oh. Maybe it's the power trying to come back on. <laughs> it's a big one, Paul. <laughs> Oh god, it's a big one! (laughs) It's a huge one! Do you hear that icky thump hitting the ground? Okay, okay, okay. I was wondering where you were going with that. I think that leads to what we're talking about here today, rather clumsily. Rather clumsily is what got you into that icky thump on your forehead. That's right. I'm just standing here with a finger and a thumb in the shape of an L on my forehead. We're sorry. Yeah, today's topic is going to be revolving around the biggest, the baddest White Stripes album of all time. Their final album as the White Stripes studio album, that is. Yeah. Icky Thump. Yeah, I think, maybe controversially, I don't know what people think out there, but I would say Icky Thump is their most coherent, realized album effort as a group. 
and I, it's the one I return to the most. I would agree with that, Paul. Beyond beyond Get Behind Me, Satan. I, I mean, I, I have a special place for Get Behind Me, Satan, but I think Icky Thump as an album is just... That's that's as close as the White Stripes were going to get to the pinnacle of what they could be. Right. They've taken all of the elements that they've done in previous albums, and they've gotten to the core of it in the most bombastic of fashions. Yeah. To yeah. create a hell of an album. It's a slick album, you know? He's taken stuff for, that he learned from the racks. It's got beautiful production the songwriting's on point it's still got a little of that white stripes roughness to it but boy is it is it a slick tight awesome rock and roll record agreed and a little later we'll learn about what you said you didn't know which is the fan reception and the critical reception and all that we'll get into that later in part two of this two-part spectacular so sit back strap in strap on strap on for this (laughs) This zany episode going through the sixth studio album by the White Stripes, which I've said it in previous episodes, but if you're new to the show, this is my favorite album. I am very excited to talk about this. It's got a lot of good memories for me, and it's got a lot of my favorite songs on it. But before we do all of that... Yeah, Paul? Is there something we've got to stop doing? Let's stop freaking now. Oh my throat. James, do you want to explain to the people what Stop Breaking Down is? I uh, sure do. I don't know why I put on that X. Yeah, sir. <laughs> that was not a character. That was just pure James. It was you just purely. That was just good old James sauntering down to country town. James just purely. Stop breaking down is when we get stuff wrong. Yeah, James, you know, we screw up from time to time. Yeah, we stray from the facts. You guys tell us what we got wrong, and we put it on the show. It's as simple as that. Sometimes we find them ourselves. So this week, Stop Breaking Down, it goes back all the way, all the way, all the way back to our episode 19, our Pogolifier special. And in this one, uh, this comes courtesy of Callie Durga. And Callie correctly points out, James, that we did just a piss poor job of spotlighting how important the South City 3 were to Pokey Lafarge and his career. You know, Callie wrote us us a very eloquent defense, I would say, of what they contributed. And I'll just sort of quote here from Callie, but she sort of says, they brought a lot to Pokey's music. The difference between his first two solo albums and Riverboat Soul is significant, and it's due to things like vocal interaction with Ryan and Adam Hoskins joining in on the songwriting. So for those of you who don't know, Pokey Lafarge is is a jackalite, a musician and artist within the Jack White universe, and he's put out a bunch of albums that sound kind of old-timey over the years, and um, he's, he's into that sort of Jimmy Rogers style of music. And his band, The South City 3, has really done a lot to sort of prop him up over those years. Right. Kelly, I think, points this out even a little bit in the segment where she appears. Pokey isn't the best at uh, guitar or anything like that, and he doesn't admit to being the best. However, he's a very good singer. What The South City 3 bring to him is an amazing backing band that take his music to the next level, basically making it a more professional, better sounding experience, and his records are benefiting from from them. So Callie went on to say that joining up with them was a turning point for his career because their musicianship and showmanship 
allowed his vision to shine. Again, I'm quoting from Callie here. And apparently they did stuff on their own, which is really cool. So you guys should all check that out. It's all in the uh, on our Facebook group in the show posting for that episode. And that is a great observation, Callie, one we should have really dwelled on more. And, uh, you know, we should really just stop breaking down. Stop breaking down. <laughs> So, Paul, let's say, let's say we get into some background to this album, huh? Background! Hey! Back, 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 back. So, this is the album's 10-year anniversary this year, 2017. Mm. It's been 10 years since Icky Thump came out. Wow. It's been a decade, Paul. Crazy. A fortnight, if you will. Mm, that's not what that is. A baker's dozen. Also not what that is. What kind of bakers are you hanging around with? <laughs> Professional ones, Paul. Which is fitting because... This album came out 10 years after the Stripes' inception. Yeah, they got together in 97. Yeah. This came out in 2007. It's currently 2017. Uh, we are at the Nexus. What is the Nexus? <laughs> we are like that guy Sorry. in Star Trek Generations. You remember him? Yeah, time is a predator that stalks you. <laughs> and also, where did you get that lovely downtime suit? I, lo- I love it very dearly. They only give me this black thing to wear. Paul, if anything, that guy just wants William Shatner's beautiful Jerry Curl. Can I ask, is number one single? We're really going down a Star Trek rabbit hole here. All right, I'm sorry. Anyway, so at this point in his musical career, Paul, you had already mentioned this, but he was fresh off the heels of Tour's first tour promoting their first album as we learned about in the Jack on Tour, Rack and Tours episode. Yeah, episode seven. Yes. And uh, he's releasing this album, Icky Thump, between the Rack's debut and their sophomore release. So pretty much directly after this album is recorded and before they start touring, he starts to record the next Rack and Tours album. So it's really just boom, 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 boom with this. Yeah. And it's funny because he was right after Satan, while they were promoting Satan, he was recording Broken Boy Soldiers. Mm-hmm. And so you have this string of releases. He and Meg must have been absolutely exhausted. Him more than Meg, I think. But yes. Boy, he didn't really leave the studio or the stage for a very long time. And not only that, he got married in the middle of all of this as we went over. Yeah. He had a daughter in the middle of all this, and he moved to Nashville in the middle of all this. Yeah, yeah, it was a busy time. All whilst Meg was, she she was obviously busy with Get Behind Me Satan, but during the Broken Boy Soldier stuff, she actually moved to L.A., and she was quoted as saying, I was getting settled there while the Rack and Tours were working. So before we started rehearsing the new album, I was living a normal life for a little while. What? She was actually just kind of decompressing in Los Angeles. Is she still here? No, no, I don't think so. So Meg was basically decompressing from all of Get Behind Me Satan and all that stuff. And Jack was continuing to overwork himself pretty much, which he's prone to doing. But at this point, he's actually at a pretty good point in his life and career. He's got two bands that are very successful. He's won tons of awards. He's got a family. He's got a a home or place that he feels like is a home for, you know, for the first time in a long time. Detroit hasn't felt like a home for him in a while. Nashville feels like a home to him. And he's moved on from his get behind me Satan turmoil a bit. And to quote Jack White, the marimba's all gone. (laughs) He really said that? He really said that. That's great. 
and there's there's an air of positivity to this whole experience. I'm I'm happy to hear that. I know he, you know, as we talked about in the Get Behind Me Satan two-parter, that album was about exercising the demons <laughs> and getting them out, mo- putting Satan behind you. Get behind me, Satan, or get behind me, obstacles. So I was very upset that he put me over there. I, uh, oh, Satan, James. Hello. You're back. Hey, 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 hey. He moved me back in the fridge where I belong, I suppose. He got a You're priest. You're in the fridge? And yeah, he put me behind where all the stuff he doesn't normally use, but he gets and has just in case he needs it. Your ketchups and your mustards. He just put me back there. I've been shelved, is what I'm trying to say. Paul. Satan, are you, you're, you're telling me you're in a refrigerator with ketchup? And it's more of a uh, an illusory kind of deal here. I'm trying to build you a mind picture of how my life is going since Jack has turned this positive route, huh? Okay, uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear you've hit such a rough patch, Satan. Um, I realize it's a little odd saying I'm in a refrigerator, being that I'm from hell. And that's very that hot is, That is there. definitely weird. Uh, but, you yeah. know, occasionally hell freezes over, am I right? Uh, how did the OK Cupid thing go? I know you were on there for a little while. Well, I, did you ever... I definitely sent out a lot of emails. I received no yeah. responses, but, uh, hey. None? <laughs> no, no, you'd be surprised. D- I mean, you got a lot of sw- swipe lefts, am I right? Well, yes, you Tinder, I mean, Tinder can't be... puts on a whole new meeting when you bring hell into the mixture. Very hot, you see. Anyway, I'm gone. <laughs> that was, that's, how, that's how Satan leaves the room. And I'm gone. Satan out. Bye, Satan. Bye-bye. <laughs> Doodaloo. Oh, I miss that guy. What were we talking about? Satan, I guess. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, get behind me, Satan. Is, yeah, Satan's behind yeah, positivity, him. He's moving positivity on. Yeah. is in mm-hmm. the air, Paul. Right. Things yeah. are going right. So the album was recorded in January of 2007 in the span of three weeks, which seems like a very short amount of time to a normal sane person and a very long time to any fan of Jack White. Yeah. To, to quote Jack, we always record in the winter when it's a little more uncomfortable. He says that it pushes you to finish. Of course. Yeah, I'll yeah. do my Jack scent. I'm sorry, Adrian King. I'm going to do my Jack scent. <laughs> uh, it pushes you to finish. Kind of like when you shovel in the walk. You just want to get it over with so that you can go back inside and get warm again. Things like the weather and the environment seem to influence our records a lot. So uh, Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sure. And he, he also says that they had a chalkboard where they were writing down the names of the songs for this album. It was blank in December and they started recording in January. So he says it shows you just how we work very fast and very intense. Yeah, well, that's cool. Three weeks is the longest stretch the Stripes have ever spent on an album. It's right after the Broken Boy Soldiers tour. Yeah, directly after, like the month after. Yeah, because they were touring for a really long time. He must have been really tired. My God. Probably. I mean, I feel like if the tour gave him as much stress as you had said it did, where he was flying back and forth. Right. Yeah. But yeah, they came directly after the tour. He actually says, I talked to Meg as we were ending the tour and started writing songs with her. We got distracted from the sessions a few times and we ended up not having that much time. So it ended up taking a bit longer. So what was different this time was the album was sort of half written in the studio. He was actually writing a lot right after the tour up until studio time. And, you know, the album was pretty much half already on paper at this point. 
and then the other half was written almost on the spot in the studio. He said it's very in the moment. The band's always been trying to capture a moment, trying to capture that intensity. Yeah. You know, he he really likes to work under pressure and to work with a time constraint. As we talk about often, struggle is very important for him. Right. He says, when I have pressure on me to perform and come up with something very quickly, I can. I would probably call myself a clutch hitter. I don't like to give myself six months and a million dollars and a beautiful place to work in. That's not my environment to write. <laughs> yeah. I mean, which uh, which holds some bearing to his current status of renting out that dingy hotel room or whatever to write in for his next album. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And this also harkens back to what he was saying about doing the albums in the winter because, you know, the whole uncomfortable thing. Right. Which, I mean, a Nashville winter isn't super uncomfortable. I mean, I mean, maybe it is. Who knows? I don't know. Kate McCoy, tell us. I feel like compared to <laughs> Detroit. Detroit, I'm sure, really gets annihilated because that's pretty far north. And this album also sports some of Jack's wildest guitar work. It's got a lot of guitar squeal and solos and stuff. Yeah. It's actually got the most guitar solos he's ever put on a White Stripes record. And he says that it wasn't pre-planned that way. He just said, on most of them, I haven't played any solos because I wanted to be anti that. But with these songs, I felt like I wanted to go deeper into it. Which, if you compare it to like albums like White Blood Cells, which we've talked about episode two, solos were off the table in White Blood Cells. Right. This one also had, in terms of sound... It wasn't just solos. I feel like it was more of a progression of how his music was evolving, Mm -hmm. not just within the White Stripes, but I feel like he took some of that raconteurs with him. And I think Store-Bought Bones is a good bridge song between what kinds of music he was making before and what kinds of music he would make after. When you listen to a song like Store-Bought Bones, you can hear, oh, okay, he's starting to use a solo as almost as a vocal in a way. Mm -hmm. And he allows the solo to, even if it's a wacky, like a crazy solo, he allows it to play a large role in the track. And that's not something we had heard a whole lot. We had heard it with more contained licks like screwdriver had a very contained lick from back in the day now they're starting to get a little crazy so you see a real progression there and icky thump the title track which we'll get to in the track by track is just a really good summation of the new direction one which he would take forth with him to his later efforts you know most notably like lazaretto and those kinds of sounds yeah if i have any album that i think would compare to Icky Thump in his later career. I think Lazaretto is a good comparison. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the album has some central themes in it, which, you know, can you could see translate right into the raconteurs. This, the themes revolve around role reversal, identity, and uh, a kind of Southwestern Latin flair. And he also grew up in a Latino community, too. I'm sure he picked some stuff up from there. Right. Actually, he talks about, he says that he grew up in Mexican town, Detroit, There was Mexican music all around me, 24 hours a day. I mean, literally, 4 o'clock in the morning, there was Mexican music playing. (laughs) He says that it... You know, it's it's kind of ironic that he was constantly surrounded by this music, and he never really played it until now. Uh, He says it's kind of funny... I had to move away from Mexican town to Nashville to finally work with mariachi music. (laughs) It's always like that. It's the opposite of what you'd expect. He's been surrounded by this type of music for, you know, close to 28 years of his life. Right. You know, he's finally getting to to work a little bit with it. Yeah. Of course, the irony being the album's title is a a reference to an English in-joke, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that. You know, Jack also wants to breathe the fresh air and positivity that I was saying before. He says, Icky Thump is about feeling positive and being alive, which is the silliest thing I've ever heard him say. (laughs) 
That's good. I'm happy to hear him. Take a deep breath and just being really happy. That's good. It's good. good. He deserves to be happy. You get some. Yeah. You get that. He does, and you get that in the songs. Here's to feeling good all the time. Even the, even the ones with subject matter that's almost dark, like 300 mile per hour outpour blues. It's not really. I mean, there's blues in there, but it's also kind of weirdly upbeat. And I'm slowly turning into you is kind of. I think, and I could be wrong about this. Some musicians tell me, but I think a lot of these songs, the, the key difference is they're in a major key instead of a minor key, which automatically makes everything sound happier. We just watched the Margot Price vault and in the interview section in that she said that, yeah, you know, once I started writing these really sad songs in major keys, people really started <laughs> responding to them because there's a built in hope to that. Yeah. And so I, I, I have to believe there's there's st- something about that going on also in Icky Thump because the whole thing feels very triumphant, even when he's being really, you know, his usual sort of grumpy self, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I don't say disparagingly. Yeah, it can you know. it can get cantankerous sometimes. You know, it's still it's still danceable and happy. Happy. And and not just happy either. There's humor always in Jack's stuff when he's doing it. I feel like when he's doing it well. And so this album has a lot of humor and a lot of and some sarcasm, but but also a lot of humor. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. I'm I'm happy he was in a good place. Yeah, totally. So he recorded this in a very modern studio, unlike he's recorded ever before, at Blackbird Studios in Nashville. Oh, cool. Yeah, it sounds yeah. modern. He said that the studio was our big worry. Could we pull off the sound we wanted? This is the first time the White Stripes went into a modern studio, so the goal was, can we still create the way we always have under these nicer conditions? We succeeded, and we're really proud of it. We were able to make other struggles occur and attack those in a different way. Mm. He says they made it through unscathed, and they they were able to not make it sound plastic. He was really worried about it sounding plastic. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's he's always been like that, where he's uh, very averse to technology. Uh, down, down to his first record that we talked about in episode one, where he's telling Jim Diamond, I don't want this to sound like it was made in a recording studio yeah. as, as they're recording. The Which song. is hilarious. <laughs> but yet to, to, again, highlight how, how quick in succession these, these, this album and Consolers was, he says, we've always been scared to work in a modern studio, for one, because I couldn't afford it. And also because we thought it would turn the sound plastic, again, with this plastic business. But the tours are recording here right now, about two weeks into our album, and because we worked out any of the kinks with that White Stripes record. So this is kind of like a trial run, too, for the Racks. Yeah. You know, you could see photographs in inside this studio of, of him uh, working. You can see uh, there's a portrait hung of Charlie Patton. That's awesome. He says that Charlie Patton was kind of his guardian angel. Uh, they also had a portrait of Harpo Marx on the other wall. How do you do? <laughs> oh, that's great. Blackbird is a is a complex of six studios. It prides itself on like vintage gear, echo chambers, and live rooms, like really big live recording rooms. Jack and Meg recorded in Studio D, which is a large live room with a 64 input Trident 80 desk, whatever the hell that means. Sounds like one of those big desks you see in those George Martin interviews. I think that's what it is. It has an echo chamber inside of it also, and red curtains too, so that you could mess with the acoustics, but, you know, very, very Jack White to have them red. Yeah. Jack says, I don't really want to touch the board. I'd rather the engineer do that. I'm always pulling the leash on myself to keep from becoming interested in gear because I know pretty soon I'll be out in the garage with a blowtorch trying to build a microphone and it won't be right in songs. <laughs> who uh, who engineered it? Well, uh, that, that brings me to the go-to guy that Jack White brought in for Icky Thump, Joe Ciccarelli. He was the engineer and mixer of, of this whole album. 
He was there all three weeks in this studio. He says that they took up residence there. He just means that they were renting it. But I wouldn't be surprised if Jack stayed overnight <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> yeah. That goes back to our listener questions episode. How much time does he spend in the studio? He lives there. It's his home. <laughs> Chicarelli's other work includes Frank Zappa. He worked on Zappa's Joe's Garage. He worked on The Shins, Wincing the Night Away, Kurt Elling's Night Moves. He worked with Tori Amos, Oingo Boingo, Black Watch, American Music Club, and My Morning Jacket. Hmm. So he's got a pretty good resume. Do you want to hear some of the other clients who uh, recorded in Blackbird Studio, James? I would, I would love to, Paul. Taylor Swift. Great. Shake it off. Tim McGraw, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Cheap Trick, John Bon Jovi, Beck. Nice. Snoop Dogg, Dolly Parton, Evanescence. <laughs> Constant enemy of the of this podcast, Evanescence. Cheryl Crow, Miley Cyrus, the Dixie Chicks, Darius Rucker, aka Hootie. Of course. Bruce Springsteen, who else we got? The Raconteurs, Garth Brooks, Justin Timberlake, Steven Tyler, Beck again for some reason. C6 Steve. Seal. <laughs> and that's that's the only other ones I recognize. All right, yeah. So that's that's a that's quite a clientele there. Yeah, a lot of a lot of Jack White favorites too. C six D and Dolly Partner in the mix. Mm-hmm, Racking tours. Mm-hmm. I hear he's fond of them. Yeah, real fond. Where he was. Woo! Sizzle me timbers, Yebert. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Joe's impressions of of Jack and Meg are. Pretty on point. Jack is a big fan of old school recording. He's the kind of guy who thinks that nothing's sounded good since 1972. Oh, God. He's also said, I've recorded Jack now with three or four different drummers, but there's a chemistry between him and Meg that's unique. They're so respectful with one another and they work hard and they push each other. Whatever people say about her abilities, it's immaterial because there's something that she does that lets him do something very special. Agreed. It encapsulates perfectly what we, we say very often, which is there's there's really been nothing like him and Meg's chemistry on stage. He's still trying to get it back, I think. Yeah. Especially at the time, and, and everybody kind of knew it. Yeah. Uh, he also said that Blackbird is one of the best studios he's ever worked in. He's got a lot of good insight onto their recording habits. He says that when inspiration hits, they immediately want to record. They expected him to be ready to record at any time. So he had several sets of room ambience microphones set up so that if they decided to sing or do anything, he could quickly push up the faders and choose which microphones best suited the songs. Hmm. He was just constantly able to record. Kind of like let it be is is what I'm having in my my mind. Yeah, They're, They're just recording and everything and there's a guy like well this is the song it's so one of two things i guess could have happened there he kept all of that and we'll get it someday or he did what he claims he does which is destroy it or whatever it's no good i won't keep it one of those is going to be true he probably destroyed it joe kind of says that he did he says that jack and meg are big supporters of the analog format and he's a big believer in the old school approach Punch it in, no comping. If you don't like a vocal take, just erase it and redo it. I'm pretty sure he probably got rid of it. If if that's true, it annoys me. <laughs> I mean, and maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't do it. I just, I have swirling in my head a vault that's like the complete Icky Thump Sessions, you know, four disc set. I would buy the shit out of that. I would too. Hearing all the different takes and all that stuff, you know? Icky Thump naked? It's not like we don't get a lot of content from him, so I can't really, you know, I can't complain. I hope he held on to it, because that would be of, of historical value as well as fan interest. Yeah, definitely of interest to me and you, <laughs> for sure. 
Yeah, <laughs> well, that's for sure. Yeah, well, let's get some perspective going. To get back into the recording of the album, Jack had guitar amps in an isolation booth adjacent to the drums. Some more instrumental jammy songs like Catch Hell Blues and Little Cream Soda. Meg felt uncomfortable using headphones, so they would open doors to the isolation booth and let the guitar sound bleed into the drum mics. Hmm. There's like a couple of songs that there's an exception to, but almost all of uh, their vocals were overdubbed. He uh, he sang a lot of them in that echo chamber in that studio. Huh. They also put the guitar amps and percussion stuff in the echo chamber a lot. So most of the time they're recording to 16-track analog, which was Jack's preference, of course. Yeah. But occasionally <laughs> Joe would use, depending on the circumstance, he would switch to digital for stuff that would require a lot of heavy work. Interesting. I wonder what kinds of circumstances... I mean, for, for I would think that and, would refer to effects. Yeah. yeah. So like Rag and, Rag and Bone. Probably. Catch Hell Blues, maybe. Icky Thump. Yeah, that one too. Definitely had a lot of yeah. distortion and, and stuff. Yeah, he was, uh, he was pretty hopeful at first that it would be pretty simple, like 70s records, to record all this because he was like, mm -hmm. oh, cool, this, this is just uh, drums and guitar and there should be lots of space for mixing and stuff. But uh, apparently he said... It was evident in the first few hours that my approach wasn't working. The sound just wasn't powerful enough, and there were too many holes in the frequency spectrum. He goes into a lot of mixing talk in these interviews. That's good. I mean, I don't understand right. it, but please, um, yeah. The stripes demand a big sound, so I had to work hard to fill in the space. When I realized the registers they played in, I had to work my butt off to extend the frequency and dynamics of what they were doing, and specifically this translated into more close microphones, more room microphones, more compression during recording and in the mix, using echo chambers and so on. They're, they're taking a lot of risks. They're, Jack told him that he wanted modern editing on analog machines. He wanted him to do, quote, <laughs> Pro Tools-style stuff with no computer. <laughs> oh, so his struggle, his, the, the new built-in struggles he's trying to make for himself are uh, being able to tell somebody that without getting hit. <laughs> But somehow Joe managed to do it. That's good. It's it's why it sounds so much like his newer stuff, that album, because he's eased back a little bit yeah. on some of the crazy restrictions. He wants you know? all those new apps the kids are getting, but he wants it on a rotary phone call. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he'll find an engineer to do it. He'll play his Angry Birds on that rotary phone. Hey, Siri! Siri! My, my, uh... My answering service lady's name is Siri. <laughs> Siri! Siri, I'd like you to add a muzzle for a record mixer to my shopping list. Siri? Siri is just swank in a wig? Yeah. Oh, God. His Amazon <laughs> echo chamber. I got married in the Amazon. <laughs> no, I don't want to buy things from it. Uh, okay, uh, so apparently they mixed the tracks in a span of five or six days. They were doing like two songs a day, which is really kind of slow for Jack, but fast-paced for anybody else, uh, which is kind of, you know, yeah. the same with all the rest of the album here. Smash Mouth notoriously took like two months per song. We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Joe said, I'm the kind of guy who likes to take extra time or tweak away, but Jack was always, are you ready? It sounds great to me. <laughs> Working so quickly also meant that you really got to trust your gut and you're not overthinking things. It's exciting. We'd finish the first song by 4 or 5 p.m. 
and then on to the next one and be done by midnight. Wow. They really they really pushed themselves. There's a lot of work going into that. Yeah. And for, for most of the mixing, Jack and Meg were there. Jack was always there. Meg was sometimes there. He, he calls Jack more of a movie director. He'd say things like, this solo needs more dynamics or something broad. <laughs> oh, I love that. They actually went back and remixed uh, 300 Mile Thruncher Alport Blues and Little Cream Soda because Jack felt that the original mixes were, were too, quote, deliberate sounding and that they'd gone overboard with the dynamics. <laughs> this album needs less dynamics. <laughs> I want, I want, simul- Siri, I would like simultaneously more and less dynamics. <laughs> James, uh, if I may interject here. Yeah, interject. <laughs> so while while he's while he's recording this album, uh, just because this kind of fits in here, he's approached by Danger Mouse uh, the first time. So people are coming in and visiting him during <laughs> this. It's not quite this closed room session. Like uh, Danger Mouse came in and first uh, brought him the idea for the Rome soundtrack during this during the recording of this album too. I just thought I'd throw that in there. You know, that's awesome. That gives a little more context to the time. And the Rome soundtrack didn't come into fruition for another couple years. So uh, Jack was apparently very vocal on how he wanted more distortion on the vocals. Vocal about them vocals. Today on Vocal on Vocals. <laughs> it do, I mean, it does have the most vocal distortion of all his uh, of all his material. So it came through, Jack. But it wasn't it wasn't gaudy. It wasn't yeah. overdone. So, uh, you know, after all that mixing, Vlado Meller did the mastering at Sony Mastering in New York. He did it from the one-inch master tape. The vinyl version was mastered from the analog format, which is actually really rare in modern recording. Most albums at that point were from the digital files. Right. Well, they, they, they're they doing it backwards and Jack's doing it the way it used right. to be the, done. The way it, it should sound, what? honestly. Right, um, right. The CD version was mastered at Sonic Solutions. Jack apparently wanted the CD, and this is quoting Joe again, Jack wanted the CD to sound loud and aggressive. So it was cut as hot and exciting as possible, whereas the vinyl was cut in a more traditional way. The vinyl version has more size and dynamics and air, all the things about vinyl that we love. Was the CD version brick wall to compete in the loudness wars? Let's hope not. Bringing it back to the loudness wars. Wow, that's going back quite a way. That's like episode three or four or something, or five. That's crazy. Uh, that is to to remind everyone that is the when basically you're cranking the levels on the recording that you're making so that whatever baseline volume you're playing at it'll appear it'll come through louder for people and so it gets very annoying when you're listening to older music pre loudness wars where all the levels are at a certain place and then you're you don't touch the volume knob at all and then you put on a modern recording and it's blasting through your speakers yeah, it's trying to make your product outshine everybody else if something's louder than then it you know it'll it'll turn your attention to it it's trying to be like the 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 prettiest thing on the shelf I'm gonna have the shiniest pair of shoes and it's annoying as hell in fact and a lot of people are not fans of the CD version for that reason. A lot of people say that the, the bass is blown out and distorted. I, I'm fine with it, but, you know, it's not people's favorites. And, uh, you know, the CD version does have a, a different version of Icky Thump, which is shorter, 14 seconds shorter, actually, to be e- more easily played on the radio. And it also has a slightly different version of Rag and Bone, which has different vocals. When we get to that, we'll what? play a comparison. Wow, I gotta go out and buy that. That's one of the few White Stripes albums I still don't own. I don't have Elephant, and I don't have Icky Thump. The two commercial ones. <laughs> I miss those two. Should we get into the track-by-track, track, Paul? 
Yeah. Let's get into the track by track. Track, 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 track. So Icky Thump, the album, starts off with track one, Icky Thump, the song, Paul. Ooh. One of my favorite uh, Jack White tunes. I love this song. Yeah. Yes, way beside the head she had one white eye, one black stand looking up, lying there. I was standing, her hair was a candy cane, black rum, sugar cane, giant ice, I'm As we've talked about in previous albums, it's a kick down the door kind of song. It really it grabs your attention and it holds it for sure. And it's the the first time on on any White Stripes album that the that there's an actual title track. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and they they actually mentioned it on their website at the time. They said the title track. Quote, which curiously and not ironically has the same words in its name, though some residents of Northern England might also recognize the title, the stripes stress that they are spelling it wrong intentionally, just for kicks and metaphors, and to avoid a possible lawsuit from the estate of Billy Eckstein. <laughs> wow. Which, if you didn't understand the, the Northern England bit, the, the term icky thump comes from the expression ecky thump which was an expression in Northern England that was made popular by a British sketch comedy show called The Goodies. The Goodies! I, I had no idea, and then I learned that when we did the Greatest Hits episode, and I was shocked. And then I went and watched the episode of The Goodies that it's in, and they kept saying Ecky Thump, and it was really weird <laughs> right. to hear. Well, the expression came up when uh, Jack's wife, Karen Nelson, used the expression, and Jack had heard it and liked it so much that he was going to name the album after it, I guess. And the That's first so track. weird. It is very That's weird. so weird. He changed Ecky, though, spelled E. E-C-K-Y to Icky, and he said on Jules Holland, he changed it to Icky to Americanize it a little bit, and so that teenagers would get it. You know, we changed it to Icky with an I, you know, like, you know how, like, Led Zeppelin took the A out so kids in America wouldn't say Lead Zeppelin? L-E-A-D. How do you spell lead, you know? You change it, if you make it Icky, then, like, maybe teenagers they know that you know it's gross yeah no i think it works works well it's a better metaphor anyhow i think i think it works beautifully (laughs) you know that may be the first time i've ever real actually thought about and realized led zeppelin was misspelling led (laughs) paul journey for me as a you've made it very far your journey's come it ends here paul but it did it but it's been so long it's not true icky thump kicks off the prevalent slang and culture mixing that starts going on in this album, along with the the obvious Mexican motif. Jack White was asked about the prevalence of this kind of British slang and, and UK stuff going on in the album, and he goes, I call it, quote, sideways exotic. <laughs> People who speak the same language but live in different countries. There's something exotic to these phrases that we don't hear in America, and even more so, what's very interesting to me is how many different types of accents there are in Great Britain. Like this one, no, no. <laughs> in a place that's about the size of Michigan. Imagine if the people in the next town over from your town had a different accent than you. I find that really bizarre. And it is. It's very Yeah, well, you'd be speaking like this then, Gearfab. What do you do with that accent there then, Gearfab? 
which actually at Beetlefest, uh, we we heard a brief snippet of conversation about this very thing. Oh yeah, Joey Mullen of Badfinger. Yeah, I was talking to George Harrison's sister. It was a real surreal moment for everyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this uh, this song is also unique, not only for being a title track, but it's unique in that it's one of the very few times Jack White gets political Mm. this song as he puts it is a song about people using other people who's using who he would return to that kind of concept in the dead weather talking about left right left right got it figured out he plays with that duality and using who and which one's right and you know that kind of thing it's a it's a common theme he returns to yeah and this theme in particular is calling out united states immigration policies and uh arguments going on at the time kind of eerily echoing what what's going on now you know in terms of getting political he's he says uh quote i'm always worried about profiting off of somebody else's problem or picking up on a cause in order to get attention for myself i would never want to be known for courting more celebrity by trumpeting some big cause so a lot of it i leave to people who do it better than me which is a bold statement it's it's him basically saying these issues are important and he doesn't want them to just be a way for him to get more famous. Right, yeah. He wants the, the issues to be issues. Jack White calls immigration a scapegoat. And he says that the theme is who's using who, but one moment of it felt like I didn't want people to confuse this character who seems to be using this prostitute across the border. I wanted it to be taken as a metaphor for other things, so it seemed like a good time to talk about immigration. People think it's a thing that's come up in the last year or something, but it's been a ridiculous thing that's bothered people throughout U.S. history. I think when things get crazy in America's history, people turn to issues like immigration to throw people off the scent a little bit. And uh, escape goats are something that he returns to also in in his next album after this, Consolers of the Lonely, yes. where he uh, in that ti- in that title track, <laughs> he he does that twice with the Raconteurs, but never with the Stripes. Um, that song, Consolers of the Lonely, looking for an escape goat. I'm never clear if he's saying <laughs> an escape goat like a pun or if I don't like he's gonna escape on a goat. <laughs> We'll save this more for the Consolers album review, but my goodness gracious, I hope it's a scapegoat. I've always, th- I've always <laughs> heard it as a scapegoat, and I really yeah, want it to be. Yeah, yeah. But to to get to the actual song, this song's interesting to me because the, the lyrics include references to every color in the Stripes color scheme. It's got hmm. redhead with one white eye. They drink black rum. I, th- I always thought he was saying black room, but yeah, black rum, sugar cane, candy canes. Yeah. And he comments on this actually when you when you say candy cane. People think red and white. Then there's black rum. Now you've got two different things. You've got something that's dark, mysterious, maybe on the bad side of the tracks, black rum. Then there's the candy cane, which is sweet and childish. You try to bring up uh, both for people and see which one they'll latch on to. Interesting. Most of this song was written before they got into the studio, but they recorded an instrumental section at Blackbird uh, Studios and spliced that in. To quote huh. Joe Ciccarelli, Jack and Meg had several of the songs ready when we got went to the studio, and some of them were whipped up on the spot. In a few cases, the songs had parts missing, a bridge or an instrumental section, and we would record them without these sections, and then Jack would come up with a new section, and we would splice that in the middle of the song. Icky Thump came into being like that. There's a whole instrumental section in the middle that was obviously edited in. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. The song sounds a little disjointed, not in a bad way at all, but it definitely does sound spliced i i don't even know how else i would put it but it's it's very it's a jagged it's like a bumper car song it's it's one of my favorite um not just one of my favorite white stripe songs it's just one of my favorite songs period you could listen to it's like i am the walrus Mm -hmm. you could listen to icky thump 
a hundred times and still find something interesting and new about it or find some other little quirk or tidbit about it because there's so much to absorb in a song like that. It's really one of his best and most popular. I mean, yeah. it's Jack White's biggest selling single ever. Yeah. And it ever. It's- Ever, ever. Which is a big deal with the Seven Nation Army looming in the background. And so it's just crazy. I, I love this song so much. And I find more to enjoy about it than Seven Nation Army for, yeah, the, me too, for the reasons we were talking about. Um, yeah. And it's funny you mentioned I Am the Walrus because both I Am the Walrus and this, there's like a noticeable change in distortion usage. You know, although reverb was definitely played a big role in early White Stripes work. Joe, again, had said, um, I was actually reluctant to use all that vocal distortion during the mix, but again, I had to trust him. One thing I have learned is when you work with great artists, you have to put yourself in their hands, trust them, and go with the flow. Yeah. So this song uh, was one of the many on the album that actually had a had a music video, uh, which we'll get into in a later episode, but the, the video was co-directed by Jack White and the Malloy Brothers, and it premiered on AOL.com, actually, at midnight. AOL.com? Yeah. It's my favorite. Pinged us all on our aims. It it reached us. It reached out to us uh, on our in our chat rooms. Uh, it told us we had mail. The video is set in Mexico. It was actually filmed in Nashville, though. It was also the the first ever White Stripes video to ever get on a countdown for Total Request Live. Yeah, it's here for Carson. <laughs> yeah. My name is Carson Daly. I'm the host of this little program today on the show. As normal, you guys have called in for your favorite music videos. We're going to play them right back. So that brings us right into our next song, Paul. What's our next one, James? You don't know what love is. You just do as you're told. A great follow-up. In some respects, I suspect you've got a respectable side. When pushed and pulled and pressured, you seldom wanna hide. But it's for someone else's benefit, not for what you wanna do. Until I realize that you've realized, I'm gonna say these words to you. Yeah, you don't know what love is. You do as you're told. Just as a child. Another really strong tune. Boy, yeah, if Icky Thump kicked down the door there's, with, with some raucous kind of rock, this one has a lot of tenderness on it, even though it's sort of vicious. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's got a lot of harsh realities going on in it. It's about, it's about telling someone you're in a relationship that you think it's more than it is, but it's not. Yeah, Jack actually wrote this song, though, while he was on tour with Bob Dylan and the Tours. Wow. He said, I don't usually write on tour, but when I left the show to go write that song, well, the next day I was talking to Dylan and I said, I wrote this song last night called You Don't Know What Love Is, You Just Do As You're Told. And uh, he goes, and then Jack White mimics Dylan's voice and goes, that's a bit strong. (laughs) (laughs) And then he says, well, it is. And then he goes on to say, but what key is it in, man? (laughs) Uh, which actually, it probably brings up what we were talking about earlier, which there being like a positive major key. To soften soften some of mm-hmm. the blow. This is track number two and also the second song on the album to get a music video, which was uh, actually filmed later after the album was released while they were on tour in Canada for Under Great White Northern Lights. It was directed by Emmett Malloy and it follows them in Canada and it was filmed in front of uh, Hudson's Bay Company historical buildings, which you can actually see a lot of in the publicity shots. And for the Under Great White Northern Lights book and movie, they're, they're in there. I'm, now I'm watching this video. Now I remember this video. And yeah, I always get this just mixed up with Great White Northern Lights because they use that footage so much in that film. Yeah. 
Australian R&B singer-songwriter Daniel Merriweather apparently covered the song for the bonus Japanese track on his 2009 album Love and War, which we should definitely hear some of. Let's hear some of that, James. And, and, it is also covered by a band called Rejected Youth Nation for the Rockin' Legends Pay Tribute to Jack White compilation album, uh, which is occasionally interesting. And that one's one that's sort of pretty good. But we're going we're gonna to zip right along to the next song at going around 300 miles per hour, Paul. <laughs> uh, torrential Outpour. I yes. love this one. This is such a uh, good 300 tune. mile per hour, Torrential Outpour Blues is track three on the album. And the final track on side Uno, which is the official side title for, for this album. Oh, breaking my teeth off. Trying to my lips. There's all kinds of red-headed women And I ain't supposed to care It's a, it's a great side yes, closer. Uh, it's kicks ass, Paul. Yeah, I mean, it starts soft, but it, it really ramps up, and it's a beautiful tune and well-written, well well executed. Yeah, it's got kind of a, a rainy, wishy-washy thing going on, well-placed cymbals and drippy blues going on in it. Yeah. And then it goes with this, one of my favorite tone switches um, into, like, screeching solos, and then, like, right back to the blues. It's like a little temper tantrum right in the middle. Yeah. Going at 300 miles per hour. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to describe a temper tantrum. It's also a microcosm of Jack White's mm-hmm. approach. I'm listening to this nice Robert Johnson. <laughs> oh, my God, the flat duo jets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a lot like that. It encapsulates his career, I think. That's a cool way to look at it, actually. Yeah, the line, uh, it's safe to say that someone out there has got a problem with almost everything you'll do. Apparently, this line has a lot of importance in that it's kind of about Detroit in a way and where Jack White came from. Mm. They ask Jack White about it and they say, is this, is this about Detroit? And he goes, yeah, sort of the garage rock community where we came from that style of music, the way they look at music is not what you would call the most supportive and loyal basis to work in. It's a strange environment. After 10 years of it, I think it was time for us to find a little more of a safe haven for us to create because it always seemed like we were just throwing it to the snakes. For example, Every time we had an album, every time we had a tour, it was a completely different audience. If you're a punk rocker and you're playing in front of 100 kids and they love you to death, if your next album sells a million copies, those kids aren't going to come to your show. Those hipsters are all very fickle. Yeah, which is what the previous album, Get By Me Satan, was all about, or or mostly mm-hmm. about. Uh, a good chunk of it was about. He says he put it all behind him. Obviously, some residual remains were still there, but obviously that's a traumatic thing to happen, so I don't blame him for still working his way yeah, through that. Yeah, totally. He's still getting through some of those demons. Yep. Meg on the album 
clearly this song illustrates that she wasn't just along for the ride. She did some editing and, and working that I don't think a lot of people recognize. Joe Ciccarelli actually is quoted saying, uh, there were also sections where Meg decided that she wanted a different drum feel. So we would punch in the drums. The song 300 Mile Per Hour Torrential Outboard Blues, for instance, has two drum kits in it. Meg actually did some of her own drum edits. She knows how to edit tape. Um, Interesting. Oh, that's yeah, cool. So she got down and dirty and, uh, and did some of the editing with them. And, uh, Paul, that's going to close nice. outside Uno. All right, closed out. Uh, shall we Shall we move on to our third man this week? Let's kick it to our third man for this week, James. We got a special one. Oh, yes, we do. We'd like to welcome our third man this week. We have a very special guest. We have Jarrett Jet Coral here here to talk to us. <laughs> How are you doing? Nice to see you. How's it going? Nice to see. Nice to see you too, Jared. Welcome. Fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. For those of you who don't know, Jarrett has his own friggin' record company. Whoa! Which, <laughs> which is amazing. For the uh, do you want to do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I started Jet Plastic Recordings in mid 2012, and I've been aiming to release records by local bands and also just really weird shit like Corey Feldman for Record Store Day. <laughs> I saw that, yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it's with Snoop Dogg too. So how can you not get this thing? But um, <laughs> I, I've been having a lot of fun with it so far, and I've you know grown to know a lot of interesting collector people and cool people that you know, and these are actually. People I now consider friends, you know, who were just once customers of the label. And now we just talk about everything in between. But I think that more so in mid-2012, I think mid-2012, Blunderbuss came out. And mm-hmm. and uh, a little a little, little bit before that, maybe, yeah, because I got my first vault package in early 2011. So I started I started getting to know the collectors from the group. And then I, we met with, we met up at the, at the show at the Masonic and stuff like that. And we've known each other since. Kelly Durga, Tam... And all these other people that I've met. And I mean, all these fantastic people. And it's more like bonding over Jack White, but it's come to, you know, evolve into something much more, if that makes any sense. It's kind of long winded, but. uh, Oh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. We've been finding our own uh, path to that through this podcast. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We've we've slowly been building up to, to talking more and more to people. And this podcast really opened that up. So uh, we've been able to to really get Definitely. connected with a lot of those folks, and now you, uh, hello. Uh, oh, so, I, 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 uh, <laughs> damn! Here I am. I appreciate so, it. Yeah. So the record label you have is uh, Jet Plastic Recordings. Uh, recordings, right? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. I just want to make sure um, I'm getting. You know, uh, oh yeah. I mean, I instead of Jet Plastic Records, I did a Jet Plastic Recordings to make it sound fancier. Like, uh, like I mean, <laughs> if you have any twelve-year-old running a record label, I started when I was twelve, I think. So it's like if you have like a twelve, if you have a twelve-year-old running a record label, you know, I'm trying to sound as fancy as I can so that people can trust me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so uh, it's gone from there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now that's fancy. Before we get into too much of the origin story here, I do have a question. Before the episode, we were talking offline a little bit. You mentioned a nickname, Jet. I did read in the Guardian mm-hmm. that the two T Jet might have been a nod to the song jet by paul mccartney and wings is oh. there any truth to that or is that a vicious rumor that the guardian is <laughs> fake news fake news no that's uh I've, I've been a big fan of the beatles since i was young up until up until a few years ago i started i was i like i'm a beatles collector like i have all the strange stuff like i have the beatles wigs and the board games and stuff like all that all that stuff and i've been, I've been collecting yeah, it the flip your wig game yeah yeah you flip your wig game and i've and i've had this stuff since since i was really little yeah it's killer 
We're very versed. Uh, we grew up in a Beatle yes. household. And yes. James and I are actually named after Paul McCartney. James Paul McCartney. Yes, James Paul McCartney. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> yes. Wow, wow. That That is, that's truly special. I'm saying it right here. Wow, wow, yeah. <laughs> You're the first. Yeah, I'm the first. Damn, I feel honored. I, I was a big fan of the Beatles and then naturally evolved into the solo work and stuff like that. But I mean, I've always loved Band on the Run, so... My, my grandpa started calling me yeah. Jet, but he'd never heard Paul McCartney because my grandpa's now like, he, he's like 80, <laughs> he's 83 right now. So it's like, you know, he, like he vaguely remembers seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, you know, or maybe he's right. just lying about it because he's right. trying to, because he's trying to sound like he was there. But, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, I love you, Gramps. But it's like, he started calling me Jet with two T's, which started going. That's still my favorite Paul McCartney song. I do remember a comment in The Guardian saying, like, that's so untrue. There's no way that name could have been with two T's because the Paul McCartney song only has one T. And they were, like, trying to and they were trying to get to the bottom of it. And I was, you know, I'm, prou- I'm proud of them for their investigative <laughs> skills. But still, long-windedly, yes, I, that is where the nickname comes from. <laughs> so, Jared, you're from the Michigan area, so you're already sort of in the – or it, are you are you close to Detroit or, or where are you – Located, or, no, I mean you don't have to say where you live. I'm just curious. You're in the Detroit area, metro area, kind of thing. Post, like precise latitude and longitude, please. No, uh, yeah, I'm in uh, I'm in St. Clair Shores, which is around like a 20 25 minute drive to downtown Detroit. Okay, okay. So, so you're so you grew up in obviously the same surroundings Jack did, albeit some years after yeah, he yeah. did. Were you immersed in the White Stripes music? from a very early age or is it something that you grew into when you were a little bit older? I mean, obviously you started the label right. when you were 12. So, I mean, at, wh- where did the White Stripes enter the picture for you? Well, um, the White Stripes being that, well, I started I started the vault in 2011 and before that I had definitely heard, I, I had heard the White Stripes music, but it's not something where I was, you know, really immersed into the fan base or immersed into trying to learn about the past or like the henchmen or the go and stuff like that. I knew elephant existed and I had heard, you know, black math and seven nation army and that kind of stuff. You know, it's kind of hazy as to when exactly that occurred, but I mean, going into it, it's, it was something where, you know, I grew into it more, you know, more than, more than I knew people from the fan base. And I noticed that all these musicians that I actually knew from the Detroit area were playing in the same bands or I knew the henchmen and I'm like, Oh cool. You guys play with Jack white. I know a little bit about Jack. I know a little bit about (laughs) Jack white. So I guess I should look more into it, you know? Wow. So how, how did jet plastic recordings actually start up? Like how, how did you go about starting this uh, amazing business? Which for the record, I own some of your records. I do too. Yeah. (laughs) I, I owned them before I even knew you, and then when I uh, I learned right. who you were, I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> like, yeah, I uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, I, I really, I certainly appreciate it. Well, like, really, I started in mid twenty twelve. Um, I went to the School of Rock, which was at the end of my street, for a short time, and there nice. I met three musicians. There are three local musicians who I've grown to know, and I'm all their records are 
coming out or have come out on my label. Like Troy Gregory, he's like he's a multi instrumentalist. He's also he also plays bass in the Dirt Bombs. Oh yeah. Joe Leone, who plays drums in a band called White Shag, and he play, also played drums in one of my favorite Detroit bands, Grayling, and also Greg Beyer, who was in a band called After Dark Amusement Park, and that was my first seven inch release. Um, and initially that that came out and I made three hundred copies. But learning of some like other label stories, like you know, like Dave Buick saying he's had a box of these forty five sitting in his closet since nineteen ninety eight. I was like, oh well, I'm definitely <laughs> not going to get rid of like even fifty of these. So I'm, you know, it was a labor of love project, you know, early on because it was kind of like if I'm a record collector, I like listening to records. The next logical thing is to make my own, you know. So I got with Greg and we figured out, you know, there's a few tracks from his album that didn't make the cut. So we figured out to get that on 45 and then that happened. And then, yeah, it's escalated since then. Like, I mean, that I had one release in 2012, one in 2013. And I mean, now it's 2017. And between January and December of this year, I have 27 releases planned on vinyl. Wow. So it's Holy like, yikes. Cow. And I mean, and, and also it's just me now. So, I mean, it's just <laughs> me and I'm in the basement and this is my, like, this is my room where I package orders, but also I'm a full-time student. So it's difficult to juggle that sometimes. Like, I mean, it's tough to find time to ship things out. It's difficult to find th- to find time to talk to musicians about stuff. I'm definitely working hard at it. And I mean, I think that it shows through the stuff. I hear people say, like, my parents completely finance it. But, you know, which is definitely untrue. I had to sell a lot of my White Stripes records to fund it. Like, I had to sell my yeah. two Meg White Icky Thump picture discs that you can only get from Meg. I had to sell those so I could press a record, which really sucked because, I mean, cause, I mean this wow. is stuff that I want to keep, obviously, you know. It's all for the love of it because, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's like, would I rather have, you know, a 45 where it's something that I helped make happen or would I rather have, you know, this 45 sitting in a box that I'm afraid to play because it's worth $1,000, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, it's been a wonderful journey so far. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. <laughs> I, that's yeah, incredible. Um, yeah, and and I uh, yeah, I, I was delighted when I found out uh, a little bit more about your your story and and to hear about it here too because like James said, I I own some of those too. Part of the reason why we wanted to talk to you on this episode is because we're talking about Icky Thump and you did that great thing um, with uh, Rocket yes, Four Fifty Five and right Bone on, Broke, yes. but that was that was my introduction to your awesome. stuff and I found I found the the process of purchasing and receiving that I know you're only doing it from a basement and you're like a full-time student but man I've had I had nothing but a smooth purchase and delivery uh, wow. experience yeah. from you from you Ag- and I that's can't not say so, that's that. not something that most people can say so consider yourself lucky yeah <laughs> no <laughs> I mean I can't say that about a lot of a lot of places I buy these things from so hey uh, I okay, had a great thank, experience thank you bunches I appreciate it and it's hit or miss with me but yeah. uh, well you know yeah. <laughs> well you, you hit no, it out of the park shucks. with mine I, so. I appreciate it truly humbled <laughs> so like Paul said we're, we're doing a show on Icky Thump uh, and uh, in this episode, we're we're getting all the way up to Bone Broke, which, uh, as as you know very well, uh, was a song written for Rocket Four Fifty Five, and on your label, you were the first to release it. Yes. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about how that came to be? Yeah, of course. Well, uh, Rocket Four Fifty Five were one of the most important, you know, Detroit garage groups. Being that 
if you look in the Live at the Gold Dollar album, it shows, you know, the first White Stripe show, the White Stripes opened for Rocket 455, their first show. However, you know, Rocket never really got their due outside of Michigan due to, you know, not touring. I don't know if that's just because of the overall laziness of the band, you know, like thinking that, you know, the Detroit scene was all there was to offer, or if it was just because, you know, the public wasn't ready for, for that at the time. I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. Yeah, I mean, like not like Marty from Back to the Future. But your kids are gonna love it. Just wasn't, you know, <laughs> wasn't ready until the White Stripes broke in England. That you know, garage rock was really yeah. appreciated from Detroit, outside of Detroit, and um, like Minneapolis and all that. I released a compilation of Rocket 455 tracks called Go to Hell that was previously released on CD. So while tracking down the masters for that, because we wanted to get it get it on vinyl, while tracking down the masters, Jeff Meyer, who also Recorded and produced the first two White Stripes. The Italy Records ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah the Italy Records ones. I, mean, I know it was Let's Shake Hands. Not sure about Lafayette Blues, although I'm pretty sure. He tracked down He tracked down the master tapes for all that, and in between, he found a bunch of, you know, old, like, demo, demo-ish quality recordings of songs. So then he mentioned to me about two years beforehand that, you know, Jack White wrote a song for Rocket 455. And I say, oh, wow, cool. I'd like to hear that a lot, you know, because obviously, you know, I'm interested. <laughs> but also, he said that there there was a cassette he had of Jack White, you know, performing this song solo, acoustic, as a demo given to Rocket 455. Also, oh along, along with that, like... You know, I was obviously interested. Um, the tape has not yet been found. Still, still, still ah. looking for the tape. But if I found it, you find it, you'll be the first to know. But um, I know, cruel, cruel fate. <laughs> but yeah, we we, uh, we we looked into those recordings and we found two that we wanted to use. Uh, one called Late Night, which is uh, the band played live forever, and then Bone Broke, which they never really played live. However, Jack wrote that for them, and I believe late 99 late 99 early 2000 yes. and he wrote the song for them and they they recorded it in this demo wish quality it has the same lyrics and everything it's the same song that jeff didn't yeah. know that it was ever on icky thump he just thought that it was some song mm-hmm. that jack wrote for them and also it's interesting because you know the white stripes longtime live staple heading for the texas border which is flaming groovy's thing rocket 455 yeah. started performing that at their shows as like a show closer. Right. However, Bone Broke, they never, Rocket never recorded it officially, never released it. They never really played it live, but we, we, we tracked it down and we, we, we got it on 45, got, got the publishing and I, uh, I went, I went to the Icarus event downtown and I've had, I've had a chance to talk to Jack on a few occasions. However, I got to catch up with him and give him some copies of the record and he was really excited about it. He was like, you put this out. He was like, awesome. Like he was like, <laughs> like, I mean, he was like, like, I mean, he was ridiculously <laughs> enthusiastic, which I was really proud of because, you know, I was kind of, I was kind of nervous about that, you know, being that, you know, this is, uh, you know, Jack yeah. White and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to mess things up. Like, I mean, what if, what if he wants to sue me? Well, I mean, I purchased it, but what if, what if he, what if he does? <laughs> I mean, you never know. That is, that is wild. So uh, what's, what's he like in person? Asshole. Complete <laughs> asshole. No, uh, he's great. He's, I mean, he's, uh, a, he's a really nice, he's a really, really nice guy and he's really down to earth and he definitely seems excited about, you know, the, the overall rebirth of the Detroit music scene. Third Man's reissued Detroit Cobras, and there was talk of them. I don't know if it's still mm-hmm. happening, but doing it like the Italy Records reissues and the MC5 and the Stooges and all these things that yeah. were, you know, 
really important or things that weren't acknowledged as much at the time, he's really coming back to it, which I think is, you know, really brilliant. Now that now that the shop's downtown and people can go in there, you know, I mean, yeah. like the Gorys played there for the opening, which I mean, I can't think of yeah. more of a more stable thing to do than to have the Gorys, you know, Detroit's seminal garage punk band perform at the opening of a, of a new yeah. store. It's, you know, it's a, it's a really nice homecoming. But anyways, Jack in, um, in person, he's ridiculously nice. When I talked to him at the grand opening of the, of Third Man Records downtown, the Cass Corridor location, we talked about the pressing mm-hmm. plant and how that would minimize, obviously, the, the turnaround time for other labels. And he was really excited about that. You know, because it takes so long to so long to try, try to press a record, yeah. and now third man pressing's around, so people are going to go to them, and then that's going to alleviate something off all the other pressing plants, and it's really great. And I'm really excited about that. And I mean, I'm also excited to work with third man pressing, but I mean, I'm I'm yeah. also excited <laughs> that if I decide to press something at like Archer downtown, I got a groove in Cleveland or whatever, it's going to take less of an amount of time because United Record Pressing can take more orders now, and then third man's going to be having live events. Down, downtown where they set up the record where they they set up the recording yeah. thing so now they're going to be you know having shows and they're going to be recording them live there and then you know I can get a black and blue with my name on it <laughs> being that I've been a fan since like back in a fan of like Third Man Records in particular since like 2011 because this is what I've, I've I only went to the store once and that was when that was in like in 2012 when the store was literally a box and you know, like like it's like five yeah. by five, and there's nothing to do in there. But now I haven't been back. I'm going back. I'm going down south next week, so I'm gonna be able to go and and check out the novelties oh, lounge cool. and stuff like that and everything else. That's awesome. That's great. So, were you a member of the vault from from the very start? No, I joined at number ten. I was number ten. Um, okay. Just because you know, I was also like a middle school student that didn't have the money for the vault, so it's like. Yeah. Well, yeah. So yeah. It's like, <laughs> I was a grown, I was a grown ass adult who didn't have the money, and and, and, and then and yeah, then I was right. like, wait a minute, I was just gonna, I'm just gonna buy this yeah. stuff anyway, so I should definitely. James James had the forethought to do it way before I did, and I was such oh, gotcha, a fool, yeah. you know. I feel like a scorned lover, so I have such a fool. Right. Take please, me back. Forethought yeah. is is putting it. Um, safely because I was uh, maybe a month or two shy of getting married when I first started the vault and I needed every penny and I was like oh well thank you uh, I was like you know what I'm gonna yeah. spend $60 on this thing instead of spending it on my wedding I mean that's what I would do yeah. Uh, let's, yeah. yeah I mean <laughs> legitimately between wedding and the vault I'd be fine with you know the vault I gotta say there's some that I listen to more than others obviously you know that yeah. weighing heavily on the white stripes and being that the go what you're doing is my favorite thing that Jack White's ever been involved in along with Henchforth it's like um, you know, like, I want that album so much <laughs> oh it's so great like the, the live go record that's near to my heart Karen Elson she's spectacular Will, Willie Nelson and even stuff that other people didn't seem to care about. I really enjoyed the Willie Nelson record. Yeah, yeah, I love the Margot one, even though it got such a big backlash. Because I, I think Margot Price is just wonderful, and oh, she, I can't get it, enough oh, of her. Yeah, so. she, she's fantastic. At the grand opening, I went to the party the night before, and then I went to the show, so I got to see Margot twice in one day. Oh, nice! And, oh, oh, it was it was fantastic. That's she's, so awesome. she's, she's such a genuinely nice person too. When I talked to her, the album yeah. was fantastic. 
I'm I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited oh, yeah. for the next one. Yeah. So I was asking about the vaults because I was wondering if you had ha- if you had uh, a copy of the of the Icky Thump Mono. Heck no, I um, don't. I've never had one. <laughs> that, that that's one of the things that if I had one, I needed the money. I wouldn't sell it. You know, just because they're so tough to come by, and also because you know. Obviously, yeah. the striped stuff is near and dear to my heart. I do have a pressing of Icky Thump. Like, I have just, a, like, an XL pressing of it. I don't really listen to much white stripes on vinyl. I listen to it in on CD in the car, which is the complete opposite of what I should be doing. However, I can blast it really, <laughs> really loud. We go over it a little in the episode, but the, the Icky Thump vinyl pressing is definitely the way to listen to it. Yes, yes, I agree. I'd kill for a mono copy just because I want to hear the difference. You guys, do you guys have monos, or...? Have you heard it? No. Can't, gotcha, can't yeah. spend the money. No. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's one of those bucket list things, but also I'd, I'd rather eat than buy a $400 record at this point. You could buy every copy in existence of Olivia Jean's album other than... Or, <laughs> or, or you could buy the Icky Thump Mono record. So, I mean, it's either or. We I love, mean, oh, man. We love Olivia Jean, uh, so we, we would definitely probably go with that option. No, but um, Olivia's Olivia's super nice too. Actually, she had a garage sale. What? <laughs> um, bear with me for a second here. Um, turns out that she lives four streets away from me, or her mom, her parents do. <laughs> so a guy at an antique store I, I go to down down the street, he had some like "Get Behind Me Satan" promo stickers that I bought, and then he was like, "I know this kid's really interested in the white stripes." And I said, "If you ever see anything, let me know." And it's like this seventy-five-year-old antique store guy, and I'm like, "He's never gonna see anything white stripes. He doesn't know what's cool, man." And then he he called me up. He had my number, and he said, "There's this lady selling a bunch of the Jack White records, and uh, she's uh, she has a uh, and she had a garage sale." So I go there with my dad. This is about twenty-five minutes before I have a piano recital. So I'm also, like, freaking out. No, it's a competition thing, you know. And I, I didn't really practice that much, no. and I wasn't really ready for it. But also, I needed these Jack White records, because who doesn't? <laughs> so I, I hightailed my way over there. There was no sign out or anything. I knocked on the door, and a lady comes to the door. And it's like it's like an older woman, and she says, I, can I help you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm here for the garage sale. I hear the Jack White or the blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, come in. My daughter will be right down. So I, we went down to the basement where they were setting up the stuff and like at this point I didn't know who it was there was a seafoam green guitar which I later learned was the guitar from the wishing well video that was selling for ridiculously cheap like $300 or something like a seafoam green gretch and I'm like holy hell she can't sell this for $300 and I didn't have $300 and I'm kicking myself right now but she had like all these records all the tricolors every one and she had like an absinthe black bells record and everything so I went through the records and I got like, what, what, what can I do? Tricolor and another one, the, the Colbert tricolor. I, I picked out those two. And I said, oh, how much? She's like, give me $20. And I'm like, okay. So I, you know, I, I handed over and, she's, and she, she, she was gracious enough to sign them for me. And we got a picture together in her basement at her garage sale, which is really a, fu- a funny story. You know, like that's one of my small third man anecdote stories that I just like to share. Oh my god, yeah. that's insane! Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it was it was pretty ridiculous because I mean, what what are what are the chances, you know? What kind of crazy fantasy rock and roll lifestyle are you living, Jared? I mean, apparently a shitty one because I'm living at my parents' house still. <laughs> <laughs> We're left speechless by these stories. Oh boy! Like, yeah, I, can't, um, I don't I know. Can't believe it. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying trying to think of what else I have here. Oh, um, okay. I I, I got one more. I I, I, I want one more here. I went oh, to the yeah. gold, went to the gold dollar. 
you know, because I wanted to see the inside of the gold dollar. So I went with a bunch of friends. I went in with um, Tom Needham, who's in the third man groups. And then some other people stayed outside because they were too cowardly to walk into this abandoned Detroit building, possibly with syringes all over the ground, definitely getting hepatitis. <laughs> but um, we, uh, we, we, we we don't call them cowards. We call them law abiding. But oh, wh- law abiding? Oh, damn. Well, I'm I guess kidding. I'm on the opposite end. Oh. Uh, shh. No, but um, yeah, I um, went into the gold dollar. There was a building that was knocked down right next to it. So it's like you could easily get into the gold dollar at this point. So we just went in and we walked through the back and everything. And then we saw on the wall of the woman's bathroom, because we obviously, you know, were pervish enough to go in the woman's bathroom at the gold dollar. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was closed in 2001. So I don't think I don't think anybody minded. Yeah. Yeah. And Olivia Jean was in there, too. Like You couldn't but, believe it. Yeah. And Olivia, <laughs> yeah, she was selling tri-clothes right by the urinal. Yeah. No, uh, $5. She, she was waiting there for years. Nobody ever came. She was wondering why. But um, no, uh, no, no. All the mistakes she made. Oh, man. Great, great tie in right there. Um, oh, man. No, um, we went in and then there was this placard on the top of the wall. Like old an old sharpie, and the, like the bathroom was painted pink, so it was like black sharpie over like weathering pink paint, and it said the white stripes suck. And then right next to it, it said, "Hell yeah, they don't rock." Oh. That, so that was uh, I don't know if that's a uh, um, an interesting glimpse into the Detroit music scene in nineteen ninety nine two thousand, or if it's the um, the result of further yeah. urban ruin investigative folk. It sounds like sour grapes from the from the people who were resentful of the white stripes. Believe, I mean, you oh, hear a lot but, of stories oh, oh, about oh, I mean, that. Believe so. me, there's tons of people who, you know, like if you see this documentary called They Came From Detroit, mostly everybody in there is like, the white stripes made it, but we didn't. Like everybody's just, you know, upset <laughs> because, you know, obviously Jack White yeah. had what it takes. He has what it takes to you know, really escalate himself and he has the songwriting progress and he has the guitar skills and he has everything and the charisma and everything bundled together to make a perfect rock star. It's kind of ridiculous in that aspect, just thinking, you know, how he evolved from, you know, playing an open mic night to selling out with the White Stripes and now he's solo. And even then, like, the dead weather, like, nobody would pay attention to the dead weather if Jack White wasn't in it. As, as great and talented true. as Allison Mossard is, you know, she, she's great, and Dean Vertita's great, and Jack Lawrence is great. However, you know, like, as a group, Jack White held them together. He drew us in. Yeah. I think people who were drawn in gained a new appreciation after, you know, experiencing them, especially after live shows. Because I know a oh, lot of people who totally, listen to yeah. their records alone, uh, especially in the collector's group, uh, right, yes, aren't yes. the biggest Dead Weather fans. There's definitely multiple levels. You know, like, there's obviously casual White Stripes fans who listen to it on their, on, like, Spotify or Tidal or whatever. Then there's, you know, fans who own a few records, and then there's fans who own, you know, like a hand-painted Lafayette Blues record. There, there's so many levels of fans, but with knowing all these people, and, I mean, I'm sure you guys could say the same, it's just, you know, bonding together with these people over a mutual love of the music and just the overall spectacle behind it. Because, I mean, yeah. a lot of my friends come yeah. up and say, like, they don't even release that many records. You know, they just release, like, dog collars and stuff. And I'm like, well, they do. But, I mean, also, <laughs> like, that's for branding. And it's really smart. Like, any any business needs to do that to help to hold itself together. That That is super off topic. 
However, you know. No, no, but Jack, Jack White's realizing what Apple Records should have yes, been. Yes, um, and definitely. I feel 100%. like he mentions Beatles once or twice. I don't, I'm not sure he's the, he's the biggest fan. He's always, always struck me more as a yeah, Stones yeah, guy. Yeah. But I could see I could see a guy like him looking at the past and seeing, okay, what was a success and what was a failure for some of these group-driven type of labels. And he was able to realize it more than even the oh. Beatles uh, were able to do. Definitely. So, and I'm sure he must look to bring it back around a little bit. He must look at a at a guy like yourself and go, "Hey, I'm proud of what you're doing because that's exactly what I would have wanted to do or what I was doing when I was right. your age." Yeah. So, I think you have a lot to be proud of, and we're oh, just for sure. I, I appreciate uh, it. We're, we're thrilled to be talking to you because it, it's really great what you're doing there, oh, man. It's I, awesome. I, I, yeah. I, I certainly appreciate it, and I mean working with some of Jack's influences like Dex Raumweber and stuff and learning from where they came from is just really special to yeah. know, be surrounded by this scene because I can imagine that somebody who's not growing up in Detroit it'd be difficult for them to really understand where all this came from or where all the talent came from yeah we're trying living growing up in Detroit and seeing it all firsthand definitely has an advantage well you and Jack sure do share the same type of work ethic which is doing uh, way more than any normal person should, but doing it extremely well. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. I Which, speaking it. of, do you have anything you're excited about coming down the pike? I know you have some record store day releases I, I and have, stuff coming out. I, I have a, I have a lot coming out. One thing I'm excited about, I've been working like three, four years on trying to get a 45 out by a band called The Buzzards. Joe Burdick, who was in The Dirties, which is the second Italy Records release. Mary Cobra from the Detroit mm-hmm. Cobras and the Patera Twins. And Jack and Meg and Ben Blackwell were actually in their music video for a song called "You Got Me Down," and that's the, yeah. and that's going to be the A side of the forty-five. Wow! And then two other two other tracks on this, and Jim Diamond, uh, the producer, plays saxophone on and stuff. But these tracks were recorded way back then, and um, it's just interesting because I was drawn in by you know Jack and Meg being in the music video, and then I saw, oh wow, this stuff's actually really really good. So I'm excited about that. I guess, you know, like the Corey Feldman thing is cool, being that it's so ridiculous and ludicrous that it's something that, you know, (laughs) I never would have normally done. However, like for records today, it's perfect. John Sinclair with like Wayne Kramer is also on that from the MC5. Lots of exciting things coming down the pipeline. I'm excited about it. And I mean, hopefully another 45 with Dex Romweber, some more live stuff. So I'm excited. Yeah, that would be killer. Cool stuff going on. Yeah, for sure. Wow, we're we're just excited to be able to uh, to speak with you and to pick up those releases once they become available. I know I will, and uh, we encourage all our listeners to do the same and support you and Jet Plastic Recordings. And we're just we're just really we're happy somebody's out there doing the good work, and you're you're doing okay. the good Thank work. Thank you so much. I certainly appreciate it. Yeah, just stay tuned. I'm getting getting the, getting that ball rolling over here. I, I mean, it's still just me, so the ball is going to be moving really really slow, but it's going to be rolling nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be rolling. Somewhere, somewhere to where I don't yeah. know, but it's going to be rolling. Yeah, yeah, and we'll try and make it out to uh, to Detroit as soon as we can to actually get get a feel for for the city that you and Jack oh, uh, mean, love uh, so nearly I, and dearly. I, oh, I mean, de- definitely. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's it's just so, it's so much fun around here. And I mean, there's shows every night. Yeah. we like to party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to take you up on that. I know James and I. We have a pilgrimage. We we're trying to get together. We're trying to get there and, Nash- and to Nashville. But uh, for sure, that would be awesome. We'd love to. We'd love to hang out and uh, and talk Mo- talk most music. Most definitely. Most definitely. It's 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 cool. a be- beautiful beautiful town. Beautiful town. Yeah. Certainly on the rise. And like the dough, I don't fall down. I'm so Detroit. I make it rise from the ashes. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah. My favorite line. Excellent. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. Um, 
Truer words have never been spoken. So thank you so much for for talking with us. And I think we'll probably find some way to have you back on the show at some point in time because you are putting out amazing records. Everybody go out and buy Jet Plastic recordings and we'll uh, we'll get back to the show. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Jarrett. James, that was a whole lot of icky and a whole lot of thumping, but we're not done yet. the train keeps a pumping. Yeah, uh, we are going to be back, James, next week with a part two for Icky Thump. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, because this album is just so friggin' huge and important that we, we just couldn't save it for one episode. We had to do two. We just kept coming back, Paul. We just kept coming back. Yeah. But in the meantime, we're going to give some shout outs here to some new people who've been listening to the show. I'm just going to plow right on through these. I'm just going to I'm just going to thump right. them out. I'm going to go. Thank you to uh, Sarah Jensen. Thump. <laughs> thank you to Karen Prophet. Thump. Thank you to Brett Garski. Thump. Thank you to Nina Gastaluzo Cutron. Thump. Thank you to Julie Michelle. Thump. And thank you to Anne Frattini. Thump. Oh, that was beautiful. And uh, I'm going to get the rest of these out at the speed of about 300 miles per hour, Paul. These are some of our regulars. Keep it us on the rails. Jeremy Riles. <laughs> Kelly Durga, uh, our fact checker supreme and third woman always. <laughs> uh, Adrian King, the punk rock queen. <laughs> uh, Andre Lyman. Andre Ice Cold Lyman. <laughs> Eileen Corsano. <laughs> Kona the dog. <laughs> David Poe. <laughs> S.A. Franco is a new addition. <laughs> We'd like to thank, uh, again, Jarrett Coral uh, for being on the show. He was excellent and had so many cool stories, and I can't wait to have him back on. Yeah, Jarrett, you were great. Thank you so much. We have a uh, Facebook. You can reach us, uh, facebook.com slash thirdmen. Our Twitter's at thirdmencast. We've been talking a lot. The followers and, and people who are joining our groups on, on both Twitter and Facebook have been tremendous. Thank you to everybody, all the newbies uh, who have been joining and spreading word about the show. We're on Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. A lot of people have been following us there. That's great, too. Thirdmen.wordpress.com is our website where we post the shows and post the show notes. Uh, they're on a separate page now uh, for reasons that I don't need to get into here but are quite stupid, I assure you. We're also available on uh, Spreaker, which is iHeartRadio's podcatcher app, and that is uh, that you could just search us on on Spreaker, S P R E A K E R. And by the way, if you're subscribed to our show, first of all, thank you. You may see all of the episodes try to download onto your phone or pod device at some point in the next couple weeks or possibly days. I apologize in advance. I know that's happened once or twice. We've been actually switching hosts for our show, so that's what's causing that. So sorry for any inconvenience, and we, we will try and not to make it happen after after this next one, but unfortunately it looks like it may have to happen again. That's just podcasting's kind of kind of hard to do <laughs> on a budget and it's uh, we're trying to figure out how best to do that while keeping all of our back episodes available which is important to us because we want to make sure that obviously if you're listening to this show you care a certain degree about Jack White and you're going to care probably enough to want to see what else we've been talking about so we're trying to make sure all those are available to you so 
sorry in advance for for any problems there. Uh, and speaking of problems, uh, we're also available on Podomatic, and um, and speaking of not problems, we're also available on on Acast. Uh, so that's acast.com slash Third Man Podcast, um, as well as YouTube. James does some visualizers there. Not not all the episodes are there, but we're 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 we're, uh, we're getting there. We're plugging. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on on iTunes if you get the chance. We're still having the contest going on, which if uh, if you guys don't know, um, cue the music. We're trying to get up to twenty reviews. Uh, we're still only about halfway there, so if you guys do review us, you can have the chance to win a special vault exclusive Loretta Lynn DVD. And I, uh, I'm thinking of kicking in an extra incentive or two in in the coming couple days. So uh, if you guys get on that, uh, if you review us screenshot it email it to us with your name and address and we will pick one of you guys at random this isn't to spam you guys we're not going to put out email blasts we're doing it specifically to pick a a a thing for this so yeah we'll pick one of you guys at random we'll send it free of charge and uh you guys will win some cool so go on review our podcast that sounded desperate go on and review our podcast on itunes yeah and please uh thank you to those who already did uh, if you have any listener questions, uh, please send those over. We we always like getting listener questions, and we're going to do another episode of those soon, so we need listener questions. And then we'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for our theme song, We're the Third Men, and my lovely wife, Susanna Roundtree, for the intro and outro of our show. Yeah, uh, and uh, and just like that, Paul, I think that's going to do it for part one of Icky Thump. Icky Thump. Who to thunk, James? As always, Paul, I'll be looking for a home on a wagon to Mexico. And I'll be looking for a home at 300 miles per hour. See you next week. Mm, Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. I could keep going. I know I you won't, could. but I, I, I was c- giving I could. you a pause yeah. break to let you. Um, so, uh, take it easy, baby. Let them say what they will. I don't know that part, but I sent you to Bill. I am certain Susanna is somewhere disgusted with me right now. <laughs> check, 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 check. Mate, Mike, mate, check. Mate, mate. Sick, 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 sick. Goof, 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 goof. <laughs> James, 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 James. I don't know what this microphone's problem is. But you blue piece of shit. Okay, there we go. Oh, see, that's all I had to do. I just had to talk firmly to it. I had to be aggressive. I had to be a, the alpha human yeah. male man. Male man. The alpha human male man. <laughs>
<laughs> the alpha male man. This is borderline at best. <laughs> Somebody let this chicken out of here. Uh, down. Our longest and best to date. And, oh, when I was a young man. Oh, Paul. Oh, the bowl of hats I wore. Paul, 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 your levels. Oh, your the levels. suspend as I... No, my levels. They're back, though. I love that my levels are like this time bomb that could go off at any point during the podcast. <laughs> I don't even think, uh, who played that guy? Uh, I don't even think. Oh, you mean Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. Wait, which one's which one's the ape? Is that Roddy or Malcolm? Roddy, Roddy which, is the ape. I, it's Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, I don't even Mr. think Malcolm McDowell. Mr. Suspenders and TVI things himself. And we should probably not include any of this. <laughs> But, Zira, we can't possibly let Bright Eyes go to the Forbidden Zone. This is sort of turning into the clubs a little bit. <laughs> I don't know what Zira's talking about. Hercules? Hmm, I've got a lot of information. <laughs> <Do> you... <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I have a lot of information. Um, so, do you, uh... Let's see, do you, do you have a... a... A moniker you'd rather be known by, or is uh, Jarrett Coral fine? Or, well, I mean that's fine. I mean, uh, so, but I, re- I really go by Jarrett because if someone stops me and calls me Jet, it's kind of ridiculous, you know. Hey, wait, wait, my levels. How are my levels? How am I doing? It, they sound fine to me, but levels okay. Level, 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 level. Oh, there they are. Levels. We say levels. My level's gone, man. I want to throw my microphone out the window. They're out still not the great, window in the cold, cold night. The levels come levels and then they go down. All right. Come, Mr. Podcast Man. <laughs> Tally me bananas? <laughs> tell James, please tally my bananas. <laughs> I don't know what to do about these levels anymore, so just, I'm sorry in advance. Oh, your levels went down again. Ah! We're we're doing an icky thump show. Um, James, I don't know. Did did you want to, uh... Yeah, sorry. Uh, I I am hearing everything like ten seconds later, so... um, And I don't know if... You want or do you not? (laughs) Come on! (laughs) Maybe we should just keep talking because I'm sure something else will come up. Well, at least one of the things. But, um, oh, um. Disgusting. <laughs> Patently I mean, disgusting. <laughs>